Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. It was the summer of 1982. There's not many of you that are old enough to remember the summer of 82. But if I tell you that Survivor was on the charts with Eye of the Tiger, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts were on the charts with I Love Rock and Roll, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder were singing Ebony and Ivory, and then Air Supply was on the charts, and Air Supply songs would be the soundtrack of my love with Brenda. It was 1982. I was uh, making decisions that would turn my world upside down. Jesus had been on the back burner for a long time, but that summer, I kind of set it all on fire. And um, from being in a very structured home growing up to teenage years filled with, if it feels good, uh, just go ahead and do it, lifestyle, I had experienced a dramatic pendulum swing from one side to the other, so much that at 19, I knew that neither one was any good for me. Like I had to do something different. And so I opted for a Jesus-centric, how then should I live life? And once again, there was a a dramatic uh, paradigm shift for me. This time it was in how I read the Bible and how I experienced religion. In fact, it was so much that I felt like I lost my equilibrium again. Several years ago, I actually lost my equilibrium. I got out of bed and uh, the room was just swimming uh, around me. I I felt like I I couldn't get my balance, so I kind of walked along the wall. And um, I thought, well, it's just momentarily, you know, it's just something, uh, it was fine after I stood up. And then uh, I went to the gym and I was laying on the bench press, pushing the bench press and uh, And I sat up from that, and once again, the room just swam around me. And I thought, well, this could be really bad. And so I had a quick doctor's visit. And uh, uh, fortunately, it was just uh, nothing more than a little bit of excess fluid in my ears. We got that taken care of, uh, and I was all good. But that's not what my life felt like. I I didn't just become okay in the summer of 82 because I felt like my life was spinning out of control again. And, um, and what I found was that so much was different. Uh, I said yes to Jesus, and all of a sudden I didn't fit where I used to fit before. Uh, I felt rejection, and I felt an immense amount of loneliness. And so I did what uh, I thought would be the right thing to do, and I took a hold of this, and I gripped it hard, and I immersed myself in scripture, and uh, that's where I found the book of James, and that's where I found a voice of reason and stability that helped me so much when I felt so unstable. It served me in that particular seasons and in many seasons since, and um, I'm excited that we're diving into the book of James And I I believe it'll come alive for all of us as we spend the next 10 weeks peeling back the truth found inside of it. The reason I'm, one of the reasons I'm really excited about it is because I know that some of you have lost your footing. 
Some of you are feeling like the world is spinning around you, like you've lost your balance, and um, you're fighting to keep from falling. And I just want to say, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. The truth found within the book of James will set you free. Not only does James write with passion and authority, but he writes as one who came through the fire and one who, as it turns out, was a half-brother to Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, can you imagine the, the work that James had to do? I almost called him Jim. Do you, do you, <laughs> that James had to do, uh, the things he had to contend with, both within himself and without. I mean, Jesus, his brother, claims to be divinity. What in the world you little, you know, this is probably what he thought as a brother. Like, straighten up. Like, who are you kidding? You're my brother. You say you're, you're God. All right. Well, uh, it turns out that James writes this book, and he's a self-described slave of God. Fully committed. He's respected as a church leader. He's pointing people to Jesus still pointing people to Jesus through these scriptures. <clears throat> Today in our world, uh, you and I have a plethora of options. Uh, we uh, have more computing power in our phones than uh, what NASA had when, uh, you know, the Apollo mission happened. Uh, any question can be Googled and answered within seconds. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I know that I have information overload. And last weekend we talked about discernment, and we need discernment as we process all the information that's available to us. So we're going to get a little more information, but this information is inspired, and it is helpful, and if you apply it to your life, it will make a, dis a, a great difference in how you live your life. So let's, uh, let's uh, get some firm foundation on uh, these teachings of Jesus. And when we do, uh, we can approach our days. We can approach our days with the assumption that within each day, regardless of how it feels in the moment, within each day there are moments where we can say that we have an opportunity for great joy. So the question I think we need to pose this morning is, well, first of all, how then do we live? How do we live in the moments where we don't feel and we can't see clearly. When we don't feel right, we don't see clearly, how do we live into those moments? How do we contend with these trials and temptations of this life? How do we face the giants of, and I know these are giants, of anxiety, the giants of disappointment, fear, depression, despair, disease? What do we do with this stuff? How do we contend with all the difficult things in our lives and still remain joyful? I'm glad you ask. Let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter one because I think as we think about all these things that can take our joy, we can get proper perspective and uh, a good starting point is in James chapter one. So let's just go there. The first verse reads like this. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, to the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. 
All right, so he's writing to the 12 tribes, but make no mistake, this word is for you and I this morning as well. Let's just set the stage and get perspective because he makes a statement here in the opening lines. He says, I am a slave of God, and he could have stopped there, but he named his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a slave. And so when you think of a slave in this context, uh, what he's pointing to is like a bond servant. So a slave or a servant, or you could say a bond servant. If you uh, consider the Greek word for this, uh, this bond servant or slave, it's doulos, which means devoted to another to, dis- to the disregard of one's own interests. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. So um, let's just, uh, let, me, let me take you to the Old Testament for a second just to parse this out a little bit more. In Exodus chapter 21, this, the writer is speaking to the slave of that day, the Hebrew slave that would say, I owe you and I am going to serve you. So it's a voluntary thing of saying, I'm going to serve in a capacity to pay off my debt. And so in this scenario, uh, the Exodus writer says, but the slave may declare. So, so every seven years, the slaves were set free. But if the slave was saying to the master, I love my master, I love you, I love being here, I love being serving under you, I love my wife and my children, I don't wanna go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God, then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. He chooses to serve his master till death which means he will forever wear the mark of this master. It's, he never comes up for eligibility, for it to expire. He will be a slave to his master forever, till death. This is what James is saying he is to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about this. He says in the words, uh, in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The Apostle Paul gives this testimony about Jesus in Philippians 2. He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, a doulos, doulos, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus himself took the very nature of a servant being, uh, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. Oswald Chambers writes these words about surrendering, doulasing. I don't know if that's a word or not, doulasing, but I kind of think it should be. It's this idea of surrendering, surrendering. Oswald Chambers says, the surrendering of my life to the supremacy of the Lord Jesus. No one can do this for me. I must do it myself. God may bring me up to this point 365 times a year, but he cannot push me through it. 
It means breaking the hard outer layer of my individual independence from God and the liberating of myself and my nature into oneness with him. Not following my own ideas, but choosing absolute loyalty to Jesus. Has that breaking of my independence come? All the rest is religious fraud. The one point to decide is, will I give up? Will I surrender to Jesus Christ, placing no condition whatsoever as to how the brokenness will come? Our surrender is dependent on how we will live our lives and how we will step into uh, verse 2 of James 1 with any sort of confidence. James 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when, not if, the word isn't if, the word is when, so you can depend that troubles of some kind or another will come your way. But, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James explains here that troubles and trials are a reason for great joy because of the wholesome effects they produce. Does he say, you should be happy? No, I don't read it that way. Happiness is more surfacy. Joy is this deep place inside of us that we can step into trials and temptations. We can have troubles in our lives and still remain joyful. We can still keep our place in a place of joy. But why? Why should I be joyful about the pain, the opposition that I face? I wonder what you do when you get into a tight spot at the office, a, a difficult situation on the manufacturing line. Whatever it is that you do where, you know, your job depends on it. What do you do when it gets difficult? I hope that you step in and you solve the problem. I hope that you step in with joy and say, Despite the circumstances, I'm going to endure, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to bring my best. I hope you do that in your spiritual life. When things feel out of whack and out of alignment, I hope you look at the situation, you go, how do I persevere in this moment? How do I endure in this moment? How do I see the best in this moment? And how do I become the light on a hill that everybody else needs to see in this moment. How do I persevere? How do I stay in it? The, the, the word uh, like endurance or perseverance, it, it means like tenacity and stick-to-itiveness. It means standing on one's feet facing the storm. It means that you have spiritual stamina, that you don't just back up and run the moment things get difficult. It means that you're going to allow character to be built in your life. And you know that character is never built on the, on the easy street. On the easy street, character is not built. So parents, if you're feeling like you want to just give your kids everything they want and need, think they need, think about the impact that 
everything handed to them will have on their lives. Build some character. Withhold a few things that they don't need. Easy street is not the street where character is found. It's a process. Life is a process. So trust the process. I had a mentor, teacher of mine who kept saying, every time we would have a conversation, he would say, trust the process, Gene. Just trust the process. And I got so tired of trusting the process. But I did. And it works. If you want to build something more than something that is just going to pass away quickly, with every blow, blow of the wind, it's going to pass away unless you trust the process and you lay and you step into character building. Verse five, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. I love this. James doesn't say, if you need wisdom, God might give it to you, or he might not. He's very clear. If you need wisdom, just ask for it. You'll get it. It's yours for the asking. The problem is we spend so much time worrying and not asking. But if we ask, he promises to give it to us. What do you do during tough times? What do you do during tough times? I suspect that you might be sort of like me and you feel like you want to capitulate back to or, the, or move back into the things that are comfortable. The things that bring you comfort, whatever they are. Tough times kind of move us in that direction if we obey our physical self. If we obey, obey the things that might pop into our mind. If we don't remain, we lose focus, don't we? We often lose focus during times of difficulty. We need to ask for wisdom, and we need to avoid living like a foolish wanderer that has no sense of right and wrong. God's wisdom never runs out. It's always available. We just have to ask for it. And, and not only does he give it to you, James describes God as generous. And so expect it. Expect a lot of wisdom. Expect a lot of insight when you ask for it. But when you ask, he says, don't waver. So don't doubt. Unsettled loyalty is another way of talking about double-mindedness. So when you're double-minded or you have unsettled loyalty, you're wavering between two opinions. It's like you're standing and there's a line right here, and you're standing with one foot on either side. I'm like, yes, no, yes, no. We had a friend that would say, I think so, but I can't say sure. Like he had this weird way of saying this, but he'd say, yeah, I think so. I'd make a definitive statement, and then he'd quickly back up and say, yeah, but I, I, I don't know for sure. I can't say for sure. You need to be sure about some things in your life. Don't be double-minded. 
So the question could be asked, is doubting wrong? Well, it depends. If you are rejecting God, then steer clear of that kind of doubt. But the father, remember the father in Mark 9 that cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. He trusted Jesus, but at the same time, he also saw that he wanted to trust more. It wasn't that he didn't trust him, but he wanted to trust more. He wasn't double-minded. He wasn't facing both directions at the same time. He simply knew that despite what he wanted, despite his desire, he needed God to act in a big way. So essentially he said, yeah, I believe, help me. Help my unbelief. And God responded and healing came to his son. See, if we're not careful, in the fear and in the pain of doubt, we may think we're leaving God behind. But in truth, we're only leaving the idea of what God is. Follow me? We're only leaving what, what we think God is. You know, the God that is small enough to fit into our plans, the one that we control, and the one who agrees with us. See, when we get serious about the questions we have and reading the parts of the Bible that we've ignored in the past, we're faced with addressing our honest doubts and questions and to consider who we think God really is. See, we've got him pretty much figured out. We read the Bible. We memorize a few verses. We go to church at least once every three weeks. Not you guys. Maybe even serve, or maybe we lead a crew. And we're hitting a home run, and God is cheering. Wowzer. Like he's impressed. You and I, we've arrived at some conclusions about God, and it's pretty great. We know what church he goes to, what biblical translation he approves of, his voting habits, his favorite movies and books, and for sure, what kind of people are kosher. It just so happens that God likes all the things on our favorite list. We need to get real. Following Jesus forces us to look seriously at every aspect of our lives with honesty, with integrity. We've got to move away from believing that God has said what he's going to say and there's nothing new under the sun. If that is true, then let's just close shop and go home because that means God is done creating that he's done refining me and you, helping us become the people that he's called us to be. He's done doling out wisdom and insight and is simply wishing us the best as we stumble our way home. Thank God, that's not true. It's not true. No, you need wisdom, you ask for it, and you got it. Trust God. He's got your best in mind. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 when he was preaching the, the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 7, he says, uh, basically he says, ask and you're going to receive. Seek and you're going to find. Knock on the door and the door will be opened up to you. There are three action points here. Three things you got to do. You got to ask, so you got to use your mouth. You got to ask. Verbalize what you want. You gotta seek, you gotta straighten your mind up, you gotta get your priorities straight, you gotta focus, and you gotta knock on the door. That requires physical action. Do those things and see what God might do. Verse nine, 
Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. So James is still on the topic of trials and temptations, which pretty much levels the playing field. I don't care if you're a millionaire or a... uh, a dollar heir, either one. Suffering, trials, and temptations, God is no respecter of people. It levels the playing field. Now we all know that we need resources, we need money to survive. This is uh, true regardless of what your economic position is. Those of us that have less assume that to have more is the answer to all of life's problems. But in fact, while it's nice to have and it alleviates short-term struggles, it does nothing For the unsettled mind, money is not your savior. Rich and poor alike are faced with broken hearts. We are faced with spiritual deficits in our lives. And unless we take a look and see where we are misaligned in our lives, we're going to always be on the hunt for the next fix. All of us will fade away unexpectedly, in the midst of a busy life, the end comes. And the efforts of this life, outside of the lasting impact of investment in other human beings, fails to bring any sort of eternal benefit. This is sobering, given the the significance that you and I, as American citizens, place on material possessions. If we follow this line of reasoning, and suffering will tend to reduce the rich to the level of humanity in general, just as the privilege of serving for Christ, suffering for Christ, lifts the poor person to a new plane of dignity and worth. That's straight out of a commentary that I was studying in. And by the way, in case you're looking around and you're wondering, uh, what's the net worth of the person next to me? So maybe then you can decide whether you're rich or you fall into the poor category. Uh, We need to be keeping, keeping this in mind. Like, just by virtue of your presence here at the corner of Fifth and Madison this morning, or if you're joining us online, just because you're online, and just because we're here, we're in America, we are in the top one or two percent of everybody in the whole world when it comes to the wealth that we have. This should help all of us to consider that to be materially rich or poor is not nearly as important as is coming to the understanding about how our attachments to those things will ultimately disappear. And they may stand in the way of our surrendering and dependence on Jesus. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So James concludes this discussion of the testing of faith with the promise of the reward given to those who have perseverance, who have endurance, you receive the eternal life that is waiting for you. 
He says, when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, don't blame God. Temptation doesn't come from God because God himself cannot successfully uh, uh, be tempted by evil. God is holy. His holiness resists the temptation of sin. So it's inconsistent to think that God could be the author of temptation. Now, does God test? Yes, yes, God allows testing. And when we are tested, it releases creativity. Testing inspires us to do something more than we thought we could. Inspires us to be more than we thought we could be. It requires us to dig deep and say, how do I solve this problem? How do I get past this test? How do I think clearly about this temptation? So don't blame God for the temptations that come your way. Instead, James says, own it. Own it. Own your temptations. Own your desires rather than blaming somebody or some, something else or by saying, the devil made me do it. That's a classic one, right? Yeah, well, the devil has just been tough on me this week. Well, that's not to negate the fact that there are spiritual forces against us. You have power within you that is greater than the world around you. Dig in, resist the devil and his temptations. Resist your own evil desires. We don't like to be called evil, do we? Sometimes our thinking is misaligned that feels easier to say than evil. We do some wrong thinking. We gotta take responsibility for the sin in our lives. We just gotta take responsibility for it. We gotta look at it and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take responsibility for this. I'm actually going to think rightly about my condition. That's what followers of Jesus do. That's what we do. We take, we take responsibility for our situation. We don't blame, we don't complain, we, don't, we just get honest, and we straighten out the crooked things in our lives in the process. Verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect, here's, here comes the encouragement. Whatever is good and perfect is, is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. He says, don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Or stop being deceived. Get wisdom. Know when you're being tempted. And know it's not coming from God because he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. His goodness. It rules out any possibility that he would send an influence as destructive as temptation. His gifts are marked by kindness and helpfulness, not destructiveness. They are perfect, which is the context which in this context excludes any possibility of moral evil as coming from God. In this scripture, God is designated as the father of the heavenly lights. 
I love this idea, this, this, this truth that creator God, unlike the shifting shadows of the moon and the stars, God does not change. So when he says, I will give you wisdom, he'll never change that. He gives us wisdom. He gives us insight. Don't doubt that God is for you. Rather than acting destructively, God acts constructively. He's building He's building in us. He chose to give us birth by sending Jesus to save us from this evil situation that we find ourselves in. God calls us his prized possession. He are, we are made in his own image. We are the imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. As such, you and I, we live in the power of God. We live with the power of God in us. So if you feel weak and misaligned this morning, if you feel uninspired to stand up to the desires within you, ask yourself why that is. Why is that? Have you surrendered your life? Or are you still holding on to it? Have you released your life to allow the Spirit of God to do his work in you? If you have, then you gotta stand up straight. Have some confidence. And when you look in the mirror, don't forget what you see. You are the image of God. And as such, we are inspired to act differently, to live differently, to speak differently, to love differently, to walk differently, to meet people differently because we have the Spirit of God in us. We are the imago Dei. We are the image of Almighty God. Would you stand with me? I don't know if you're still dreaming or not. Are you still thinking creatively? Are you still inspired to live your life differently? Or have you settled into the mundane? Have you settled in for the long haul? Are you just waiting for someone else to make a move? Are you just waiting for the Spirit of God to do something else yet? I think, no, I don't just think. I'm convinced that if you will make a decision today, and no, and I'm trying to sell you something. It's a today offer only. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. It's open. The door's open. We've been asking, we've been seeking, we've been knocking. The door's opening up for us, for you and I. The door's wide open. Watch what God does when you align yourself with his purposes. Here's what'll happen. The peace that passes understanding is yours. Joy unspeakable is yours. Persevere and endure the testing of your faith. Trust the process. Let it do its work in you. And when it's finished, you'll find that you are perfect and complete, not needing anything. So says the scripture this morning. The only thing you have to answer is, do I actually believe that? And if I believe, do I then trust at the level that that belief requires? Or am I just waffling? Am I double-minded? 
James pulls no punches. You're in for this for 10 weeks. <laughs> and if we embrace it, we will not be the same after 10 weeks. In fact, we will be very different in a very good way. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I preach this morning, I know that this word has struck a chord. And I believe, God, that uh, despite our inclination to say, I don't know, there are some in this room this morning that are absolutely ready to walk through that door, that are absolutely, have been put on notice today that to not do so is a step in the wrong direction. And God, it's clear to me that you really, like you've been here, you are here among us, and you really opened up our hearts this morning. That's been my prayer this week, is that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be clear, and that because of our experience together this morning, lives will be changed. Decisions will be made because we get to choose whether we will be a doulas for life, whether we will surrender and be a slave of God, whether we will disregard our own thoughts and intentions, our own desires, disregard those in light of who you are. Most holy God, God, we worship you. And we know that you alone, you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.